Uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, we've returned to the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are now in chapter 14 of Saving Faith. Only three paragraphs, but they're very potent ones. Uh, let me pray. Father, we pray with thanks for our theological heritage. We know how the Bible tells us that we are to study the form of sound words, that we're to guard the deposit entrusted to us, and we know that that includes biblical theology, the her- confessional heritage of the church, rooted in the teaching of scriptures. And so as we study the confession, Lord, we do not revere it as your word. We revere that which it teaches from your word. And so we pray that you would grow us in our faith. Make us wise in the things of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, three paragraphs. The first deals with the source of faith. Let me read it. The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. Now, that's that's just another great statement. Uh, Very helpful, very careful. Let's look through it. First of all, it speaks of the grace of faith. And what it means, it uses that language because the Bible teaches that faith is the gift of God. Where does faith come from? Well, I have here Matthew 16, 17. When Peter gave the great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, I tell you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Now, what does he mean? Natural processes, human teaching, you're you're thinking about things. It's not a natural thing, but my father who is in heaven, faith is the gift of God. It is the grace of faith. Faith comes from above. Uh, you think of the classic language of Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. I, I've, I've long loved Romans four sixteen, where Paul says, that is why it, it being salvation, it depends on faith so that the promise may rest on grace. That's a very profound statement he's making. He says, you know, we are actually joined to Christ for salvation. This is why the confession speaks of faith as the instrument of our justification. That's a carefully chosen word. It's something that we do even, we believe. When you believe, you're doing it. And yet, it's not you who did it. You're exercising what God has given to you. God has changed your heart. And so faith comes from above. It is the gift of God. And so they say the grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls. Again, that's biblical language. We are, and and who is enabled? Well, the elect are enabled. In fact, how do you know the elect? Well, you know some of the elect because they believe. There are other elects who, elect persons who haven't believed yet. They're chosen by God. But the elect, it, when, when it's all said and done, the elect and the believers will be one group. It is God chose a people in eternity past. Christ died on the cross for those people. And then the Holy Spirit applies the gift of faith to whom? The people for whom Jesus died. Jesus referred to them as those you have given to me. And they are the elect, those chosen by sovereign grace before the foundation of the world. If, if you look at the Arminian view, the semi-Pelagian view, in which uh, Christ died so that whoever believes, he didn't die for any definite people, then the Holy Spirit gives faith to certain persons. You have, uh, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working not in concert. No, they do work in concert. God chose a certain people, He gave them to his son. His son made atonement for their sins, and then they are enabled to believe. Uh, Again, another great statement is Acts 13, 48. I love this statement, and this is some, you'll see this a fair amount in the New Testament. Uh, Luke, writing the book of Acts, is not teaching about these things. He's just describing it. But the belief system, the truth awareness out of which he writes is this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Just casually speaking out of a sovereign grace, uh, there, there were people who would believe. 
they were enabled to do so, and they were the ones who were appointed to eternal life. It's the grace of faith. Uh, Second of all, that statement points out that saving faith, by which the elect are enabled to believe, is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's an, uh, in fact, an ordinary wrought by the, ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. Uh, that's a very important statement. I often think about that. It informs our philosophy of ministry. First of all, faith is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word. Now, if, it, if faith must have a supernatural source, then it needs supernatural means. And it's very possible today to grow a large church by natural means. The music, the smoke machine, the pastor parachutes into the sanctuary, or or the comedy routine. I have to say, uh, I haven't interacted with a lot of people recently who were non-denominational megachurch people. But in the times when I have, almost without fail, I say, tell me about your pastor. Almost without fail, they'll say he is hilarious. Now, there's nothing wrong with being hilarious, but it ought not to be the primary characteristic of the pastor. Um, No, no, we're not relying on natural means, but we're relying on supernatural means. And the supernatural means appointed by God for the giving of faith is the word of God. And so faith is wrought by the Holy Spirit by the ministry of the word. Um, So much New Testament support for this. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's an important statement. We want people to be, to, to be saved. If, they, if we want them to be saved, and if they can only be saved by the ministry of the word and the hands of the Holy Spirit, what must we do if people are to be saved? We must tell them that we must preach the word of God. They must read their Bibles. It must be by the ministry of the word. And this is why in a church like ours, yeah, all our ministries are word-based. And right now, the youth are roller skating around the gym, and uh, which I, I delight in. There's nothing wrong with having social events where they're having fun. But the ministry of the church is based upon the Word of God. And if parents want to keep their baptismal vows and to nurture their children in faith, they must read to them the Word of God. Uh, you know, there's a lot of variety in how people are saved. And that everyone who is saved is saved the same way, by the word of God. It is not possible to be saved apart from the word of God. Now, you get people who get all kinds of testimonies, but if you peel the onion back, you will always find that the, the operative power was the word of God. Maybe, I mean, I use the illustration of a, of, I forget his name, but it was a man who was a farmer in New England in the uh, 1700s, late 1600s, and he... Uh, believed he was standing in his field at like 86 years old, pondering the fact that he soon would die, and he was converted. And you go, and I say, there's a guy who's not saved by the word. Actually, he was converted by a sermon that he heard preached in England by the great reformer William Perkins 60 years earlier, and he was thinking about that sermon 60 years later, and he was converted. Or you think of John Newton who was, you know, his famous story, he's a slave trader, he's in the ship, the ship is foundering at sea, he's spending countless hours in the dark pumping it, and he's converted. He's converted by his mind turning to the Bible verses his mother had him memorize when he was a little boy before he believed. And this is why I personally love ministries like CEF, there's a plug for Cindy, and the work of CEF. Never despise that. I have met so many adults who will tell me. I, I, can't, I, was born, I, I, I came to Christ in, in kindergarten through a Good News Bible Club. Or the, the cat kids instruction. Faith comes by hearing, says Romans ten seventeen, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so there, among the means of grace, there is a primacy to the ministry of the word. Faith is the work of the Spirit of Christ by the ministry of the Word. Now, there's no doubt that the Westminster Divines intended to place a certain priority, not just on the Word generally, but on the preaching of the Word in the church. And I think there's good biblical support for that. You think of Paul. How then are are they to believe of him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear 
without someone preaching. Now, I do not at all mean to say that you cannot be saved and people aren't saved by reading their Bibles. And when I was in Florida, uh, a, uh, a f- member of our church called me and said, my brother, who's a big rig trucker, is about to leave for a cross-country trip. And he's, he's like on his way out. And I asked if he would stop by the church and talk to you. You have 10 minutes with him. Now, now what do you do? People think I have this like magic ability so I'm sitting there going, what am I supposed to do? Uh, and so he's a really nice guy. He parks his big rig, and we had a really big parking lot. And he comes up to the church and goes, look, my, my brother told me i got to come talk to you before I go on the road. And I said, look, I don't even know you. Uh, I will tell you this. If you care about your soul and you, and you want to know the truth, here's a Bible. I give you a Bible. Take it with you on the road. I would recommend you start in the Gospel of John, and I would recommend that you pray to God. In fact, I'll pray with you right now. Lord, I want to know whether it's true or not. I want to know if Jesus is real, if he saves. I'm going to read the Gospel of John and the rest of the Bible, and I pray that you would open my mind to it. Shook his hand, have a nice cross-country trip. I was not surprised about a month later when that church member said my brother was saved. How? By reading the Bible. Um, so far be it from me to despise preaching the Bible on the radio, uh, those video services, and yet we do, there is a biblical emphasis on the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word in the church is 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 kind of the the the, the cla- wow the I don't know what that was Brendan Brendan come up here and sing the, uh, the don't you love it. Don't you love it? You know, sing to the Lord with all your heart, right? I love the guy. He gets up there and he sings. Let that be a lesson to you non-singers out there on Sunday mornings. I see you. Kudos to you, Brendan. You keep singing, buddy. But not now, actually. The, um, uh, the preaching of the word is the, is, is, the, is the ideal biblical scenario. So one of the best things you can do is invite your friends to come to the worship services. And I, I actually we have a video somewhere on our website where I have a, a deal I have with the congregation. If you bring your friend to our church, I guarantee you I will preach Christ when they come. I will preach Christ. And we preach the whole counsel of God. Different passages are different. I will preach Christ. And, uh, but faith is by the word of God. Uh, Chad Van Dixhorn says, for this reason, Christian elders impress upon every believer the importance of attending as often as possible to the preaching of the word, because it is the central and principal means of grace. William Greenhill, one of the divines said, where, a, where the word of God is not expounded, preached and applied, the people perish. Now, that's a troubling thought for the evangelical movement today. I don't get around churches very much, but I hear from people who do. And I I don't know, but I constantly hear from people, it's hard to find a church where the Bible's really taught. Uh, If that is true, there can only be one result. Namely, that the churches become, even if they're conservative churches, Bible-believing churches, um, people are being saved by something other than the Word of God. They're being saved to something other than God. That was Dr. Boyce's rule. What you save them with, you save them to. My family was on vacation several years ago now. And we went to a a well-known large area church, not New Spring. Um, And uh, my kids had friends from co-op in the church. And I actually lectured them in the parking lot. We're not here as the uber-reformed people judging worship. We're here to to worship. But it's kind of hard once it starts and... uh, the first time the Bible was mentioned, I looked at my watch because it, it dawned on me. That's the first mention of anything from the Bible. It was 36 minutes into the service. And it was 20 minutes into the sermon, which was about the church vision statement, which is apparently a thing. There's a lot of preaching of the vision statement. And I thought to myself, wow, I mean, that is a, and this is a well-known, they would go to the mat over the inerrancy of Scripture. They're conservative, but we have to be relying on the ministry of the word. Uh, so the source of faith is the Holy Spirit, ordinarily wrought by the... By the way, ordinarily means in not in a special way. It doesn't require anything extraordinary. 
that it, it, it can be just as effective with a, with a bad preacher as a good preacher, so long as they're both faithful preacher. Obviously, it's good to preach well. It's good to have gifts, but we don't rely on those things. People say to me, you know, we think that our pastor is not as good a preacher as someone else. Should we leave our church? And I go, no. If your pastor is not preaching the word, that's another thing. But if your pastor just lacks the gifts that another person has, well, you know, he's preaching the word. Pray for him and support him. And, and uh, you know, what, what, what happens is they change churches, their pastor leaves, the old pastor leaves, and then they get a good pastor at that church and they go back. It's not about the gifts. It's not about anything extraordinary. It's the ordinary ministry of the word of God. It's just, it's, and, and, and the mother sitting at the kitchen table, maybe feeling she's being inadequate, or the father doing family devotions and he doesn't have a seminary degree. Well, obviously, for preaching in the church, those things are needed. But God will bless the ministry of the word. And, and maybe you'll be like John Newton's mother, who died without her son ever coming to faith. But in so many cases, years later, the storm hits and they remember the Bible. They remember their, the sound of their father's voice speaking about Jesus and reading the Bible. And maybe it's 80 years later they come to faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing is through the word of Christ. Now, we talk about the ordinary means of grace, and, and that's, a, that's, a, you go, that's kind of a, a, a tagline we have here. Well, it comes from the confession that there are three means of grace. What do we mean by means of grace? We don't just mean things that are helpful. There's a lot of things that are helpful. But we mean three ministries that God has given the church and he has attached promises that faithfully administered, he will bless them. So there's a lot of things that are good and we're for them. But the building blocks of a faithful ministry are the, are the word, prayer, and the sacraments. These are the ordinary means of grace. And the confession says, faith is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. Very helpful statement. You can only be born again, as Peter says, one way, by the word of God. That's how you come to faith, by the word of God. But once you've come to faith, that faith is strengthened by the, by the word, prayer, and the sacraments. That's what's being said. You think of uh, Acts twenty thirty two, where Pete, Paul is. This is his Paul's departure from the Ephesian elders. Really, an f- important chapter, and he says, "Now I commend you to God, and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." And so, just as you must be saved by the word, so also you must, in order to grow in your faith. You must have the word of God. And it's really exciting. It's exciting to me personally. I've experienced this so dramatically. It's exciting to me as a pastor. I mean, this is maybe an oversimplification, but if you just walk with God over, you know, 5, 10, 20 years and you read your Bibles and you earnestly attend to the word of God, not just physically be there, but you're reading your Bibles, you're going to grow. What accounted for the change in that person's life? What accounted for the improvement of their marriage? In so many cases, it's just the supernatural power of the word at work in your life. Now, I'm not saying it's all that you should do, but it's pretty exciting to know that if you commit yourself to daily Bible reading and not just, not just checking it off the list, but to really sit at God's feet and, and read the word and pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's always good to, I'm, I've been personally so blessed by good Christian literature. Um, supernaturally, your faith will be strengthened by the word of God. It is strengthened. There's really no replacing the role of the word of God in your life. So if you're not reading your Bibles, you are playing to lose. So you go, you're being legalistic. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just reading the Bible. It is plain to lose. You're a college student, and you're going off to college. And if you don't get in a Christian group, and if you're not under teaching of the Word, if you're not reading your Bible, well, these are the means God has given us to increase in our faith. But how exciting. I've got a son who this summer leaves home for graduate school, and it's the beginning, probably, of a long-distance relationship for the rest of our lives. He's doing a graduate degree in nuclear chemistry. His goal is to be a researcher at a national lab. 
there are no national labs in South Carolina for nuclear research. You add that all up, the likelihood is that he's not coming back to Greenville. And, and, and loving this son very much, Sharon and I, are, of course, we've, we've made inquiries to, in fact, before he chose that school, we made sure we knew of what church was there. He has a church he plans to go to. But I can have confidence if I know he is committed to the word of God. And so we trained them. Uh, when I, I was converted at age 30, and uh, I remember being a new believer, and we, our church had a Friday night singles group. Uh, it was a big downtown church in a downtown city, Philadelphia. We had yuppies like me. And um, uh, uh, I, w- I would go to church morning and evening. I didn't know anybody in the church. And I was greatly blessed by the word of God as it was preached. And Dr. Boyce would quote someone, and I'd go down to the church bookstore, and I would buy a book from the guy. I remember he, my first A.W. Pink book. Uh, Boyce, I love A.W. Pink. And God quoted A.W. Pink. I went down and I got A.W. Pink, and I read it. It was great. Then he quoted Martin. Then he started quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've got three shelves of Martin Lloyd-Jones in my office. I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, and I was growing leaps and bounds. But then, actually, they, I, I knew. I'd been there maybe six months, hadn't met a soul, hadn't tried to meet a soul. You know, in a big church, you sit in the back or in the balcony. And they had an announcement one Sunday, if you're single, we have a singles fellowship, why don't you come? Come on, you don't, don't be chicken. And so I went to the singles fellowship. I remember walking through the door, and I shook the hand of the person who became a very close friend of mine. I still am a friend of his. And he said to me, Are you in a, do you read the Bible? Yeah, I do read the Bible. Would you like to get together with some people like you and to read the Bible? That would be great. By the way, I did meet Sharon at this setting. Um, but um, I look back, at, particularly in those formative years, as a new believer, undoubtedly the most important thing was the preaching of the word in the church. And I sat under James Montgomery Boyce. To this day, if I turn on the Bible study hour, just hearing the sound of his voice downloads 1991 to me, 1992, and, and those powerful years of my life was being radically reshaped. And I, just the sound of his voice is the doctrines of grace and the gospel to my heart. Um, but it was also... Um, in small group settings, it was, it was alone in my apartment and friends who urged me to read the Bible and to pray. Uh, secondly, the sacraments. Now, the evangelical movement has been historically anti-sacramental. That's because we're kind of formed in reaction to sacramental churches, and particularly Roman Catholicism, but also Greek Orthodox, some Protestant Lutheranisms, much higher sacramentology where they have some views about the sacrament that we don't believe the Bible supports. Namely, the doctrine is called ex opere operato. By the doing, it is done. Open your mouth, take the wafer, and go. We did it, so it worked. And the Bible shows that it's a, it's a means through faith by which the Holy Spirit meet, and we commune with Christ through faith. Uh, but you, when you say, what's the benefit of the sacraments? Well, the benefit, it is to strengthen your faith by means of being a seal from God. Now, what it, what by seal, it has the particular meaning of the stamp on your driver's license or on your passport. If you go home and you make your own passport and you try to pass it off, it's probably not going to go well because you have to have... You know, it's a lot of stuff you got to have the right paper, the right ink, the right font, and you got to have the seal. The sacraments are intended in two ways. One is that when the elders hand you the elements, those are the elders of the Church of Jesus Christ who have the job of giving that, those, those elements only to baptized members of the Church of Jesus Christ. This is why church membership is so important. Every new member's class, we announced you have an opportunity to meet with the elders, and people are always freaked out. Not always freaked out, but, oh, no, we have to go meet with the elders. All you're doing is telling them about your faith in Jesus, and you meet with the elders, you tell them about your faith in Jesus, they talk with you, they receive it as a confession of faith, but there is some, it's designed by this way. When the elders of the church say to you, we, the elders of the church, accept you as a Christian, that is meant to strengthen your faith. And then there's the sealing aspect of the Holy Spirit. In the communion with Christ, in the sacrament, 
primarily what happens is this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit certifies our salvation to us. Paul talks in Romans 8 about the, the, the spirit of adoption. And he, the, the sacraments, by means of the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, they strengthen our faith. And then thirdly, prayer. Of course, maybe the best prayer was the one of Luke seventeen five. Lord, increase our faith. That's not a bad prayer. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I mean, I've prayed that many times. I'm sure you have too. Um, but you think of Philippians 4, 6 to 7. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus is about solidifying your faith, strengthening your faith. And so um, it is our commitment to this teaching of the confession from the scriptures that causes us to be an ordinary means of grace church. The word, prayer, and the sacraments is what we build it upon. Uh, That was a great paragraph. This is another good one. What are the acts of faith? By this faith, a Christian believes. You believe. Believeth to be true. What do you believe? Whatsoever is revealed in the word. Christian faith believes the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is God's word. And we believe what it says, whatsoever it says. And it's faith. I remember, I've I've often said I was converted on a Sunday night. The sermon was uh, Hosea chapter 3, and I was Gomer. And so I go to church the next Sunday, and he's in his Roman series, Dr. Boyce's famous Roman series, uh, and he's in Romans 9. And he's not at the beginning of Romans 9. This is on predestination. He's at the end. He's, he's not on predestination. He's on reprobation. Now, I'm, I'm a recently born-again secular humanist. That's what I am. And I walk in and he's preaching. I think the sermon title was Double or Nothing. There's a good sermon title about double predestination. Um, And he's preaching not only that God has chosen the elect from eternity past, but he's ordained the reprobate. And I'm sitting in the pews. What am I thinking? This is bonkers. This guy, sometimes I'll be preaching and I'll go, you know, that person's looking at me the way I was looking at Boyce that Sunday. They're thinking I'm bonkers. Well, we'll we'll see. I'll just keep preaching. But he had this pesky habit of saying, look at the text. And I realized that what he was saying is what the Bible was saying. In fact, that's what preaching is, teaching what the Bible is saying. And quickly, my, my, my offense was not with him. It was with the Bible. But it didn't take long, probably during that same sermon, because I'd been born again, because I had the grace of faith. What did I do? I, I received it. I believed it. I received it on the authority of God speaking in his word. Now, I didn't have it all sorted out. I had lots of questions. I didn't quite get it. But the attitude is that of St. Augustine when he said, when the Bible and I disagree, I have learned that I am wrong. And so faith is, is believing in the word of God in whatsoever it teaches. Why? Because it's God's word. Um, I, I love Job and Job chapter 40. You know, Job's been, look, we need to cut Job slack, right? I mean, after all he's been through. And he's been spouting off for several chapters, frankly, uh, about if he was God, how much better things would be. That's the short version of it. And in chapter 38, chapter 38 begins, then the Lord spoke out of the whirlwind. He got a phenomenological display of the glory and sovereignty of God by natural phenomenon. You get three chapters. Where were you when the morning stars sang together, smarty pants, you know? Did you create the world? Then, you know. And in chapter 40, he says, I had heard of the Lord, but now I have seen him. And I have put my hand over my mouth. I love that. In the army, we'd say, I'm in receive-only mode. Uh, I don't want to give the wrong impression because there's nothing wrong with asking questions. He, the Lord actually takes his hand off his mouth and says, feel free to interact with me. But we start by listening and heeding and faith believes whatsoever the Bible teaches. Now, the Bible will teach things that you don't like. The Bible will say things that you, that you're, you, know, you think today, maybe the classic one is the Bible's teaching on gender relations. 
And many women have gotten, many second, not just women, have received offense. I remember when I was, uh, my mother learned I was converted into a PCA church, and so she researched the PCA, and she was outraged that we didn't ordain women. So the first meaningful conversation she said about it was, how come you go to that church that doesn't think women are any good? I said, Mama, that's not true. Uh, We think women are wonderful. Then why don't you ordain them? I said, Mother, the issue is whether the Bible is true or not. That's the issue. And all, if we can, I don't want, I don't want to argue. I, 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 we practice that because the Bible says it. And, and that's, we, always want to, we always want our witness to go back to, well, the, it's because it's the Bible and the Bible is the word of God. And then we want to direct them to Jesus. Um, so we believe the Bible, whatsoever is revealed in the word, for the authority of God himself speaking therein, and acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Uh, That's a pretty meaty paragraph, so we will look at it. The general object of faith is the whole word of God. The special object of faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers believe the entirety of what the Bible says, and as a result, they trust Jesus for their Savior. First is faith in God's word. We believe whatsoever to be true, whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God therein. Now, I've always loved First Thessalonians uh, chapters 1 and 2, and, and here's what Paul says. He's really happy about the Thessalonican church. He's gotten a report of them, and he's really fired up because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. It is the word of God. So saving faith is not just you know an exploration where you're, you're performing comparative religious studies and there's some things you like about Christianity. No, saving faith means that you, you accept the authority of the Bible because it's the word of God and you believe whatever it says. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What a great statement that is. The sheep of Christ hear his voice. They hear his voice through the word of God. Now that's the effectual, remember some weeks ago we talked about the effectual calling. The minister gives the general calling, and it lands on dead hearts. But Christ enters in, and he makes the general calling, the preaching of the word, the effectual calling. He opens their hearts, and they they come to know him. They hear his voice. And I know them, and they follow me. The next line says, I give them eternal life. Listen to uh, Paul. This is Paul before, I think, uh, uh, Herod Agrippa. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. You know, Herod Agrippa is challenging Paul because he's betrayed Judaism, he thinks, by believing in Jesus the Messiah. And here's his defense. No, I worship the God of our fathers. I'm a good Old Testament Jew. I believe everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. And that is why I believe in Jesus. But notice it's faith in the Bible. And faith then responds to God's word. It yields obedience to the commands. And so uh, when the Bible says, you know, Rick, you're supposed to do so-and-so, I go, okay, I'm supposed to do that. You've got to stop doing so you know, let your speech be pure. Oh, I, need to re- I need to respond to that obediently. Um, but, you know, all the things the Bible teaches, we respond, oh, faith, this is where faith and obedience we tend to think of them as different categories. Paul speaks of the obedience of faith, Romans 16, 26. The obedience of faith. I believe, therefore, I obey. Uh, I, my favorite example is Noah. Noah is told by God that there's going to be a big flood. And Noah goes, what's a flood? Well, it's a lot of rain. What's rain? Well, just a lot of water. Um, and what I want you to do, there's going to be a flood, and, and you're going to build an ark. I'll show you. It's a big, really big boat. And you're going to build that ark, and because therefore when it starts raining, you and your family are going to get in the ark, 
and you're not going to perish, you're going to be saved. Now, if Noah believes that, what's he going to do? He's going to go out chopping down trees, right? I mean, he's going, to, he's, going to start, he's going to start working on it. If you go to Noah and you say, Noah, what did God tell you? It's going to be a flood, rain, and a building ark. Do you believe it? Oh, I believe it. Well, well, how's the progress going? Oh, I haven't done anything. He didn't believe it. He didn't. I think I used that on a Wednesday night recently. Um, we tremble at the threatenings. You, I'm a believer. I don't. Yes, you do. We tremble at the threatenings of God. If you don't read, if you read the seven letters to the churches in, the, in Revelation chapter two and three, and don't get on your knees and say, "Lord, show mercy to me," I don't know. It's, I, I tremble at those chapters. It is the sovereign Lord. Uh, not playing games with his church. He's not playing games with Rick Phillips, and Rick Phillips trembles and embraces the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. So there's different, different, there's different themes. There's different kinds of biblical literature. We respond appropriately to them all in faith. But the special act of faith is believing in Jesus Christ. The, and this is a famous statement and so helpful. But the principal acts of saving faith you go, okay, I want to be saved, just cut to the core. What did Paul tell, tell the Philippian jailer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There it is. You will accept, receive, and rest upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And so faith is in the person of Christ. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are not a Christian. I I have a friend who's really into the Founding Fathers, and he's got a ministry. Very good, actually. And he tried to make the case one time for Benjamin Franklin being saved. And I'm like, you know, he's actually a super great person. I mean, Benjamin Franklin may be the greatest American of all time. But there was a problem, and and one of his closest friends was George Whitfield the great revivalist. And, you know, University of Pennsylvania has got a... Franklin founded that. There's a big Whitfield statue there because he raised the money. Uh, and he was very pro-Christian. He was a member of the church. Um, there is a letter the year that he died, however, from a Presbyterian minister in New Jersey who wrote him and said, Dr. Franklin, you've been the greatest American. Our debt to you is spectacular, and you're awesome. And we've been friends. I, I'm just blown away by you. So would, it would really be a blessing to me, since you're going to die soon, if you could affirm to me that you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And Ben Franklin writes him back and goes, I am sorry, I cannot yield to that irrational. He's an enlightenment guy. And I, I, look, I, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I'm digging this and that. No, I will not agree that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, that's like really bad. You have to believe that Jesus... Is that my phone? It's okay if it's yours. I just hate it when it's mine. No, it's not mine. The, uh, it's happened before. <laughs> so I don't have it with me on Sundays. I once called her and I was on the road and I called her and there's a time zone change and she's sitting right there and the communion's going on. Her phone goes off because I had called her. Anyway, sorry. Um, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God to, to be saved. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So it's faith in the person of Christ and then in the work of Christ. You hear me use that language a lot. We're trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We believe that he's God's son. We believe that he is the Christ. You know, Christ is not his last name. It's his job description. The anointed one, the prophet, priest, and king. He's the one who is the truth. All God's truth is found in him. He's the priest who makes the atonement. He is the king who rules over the household of God, including me. We believe he was, uh, he was incarnate. Somebody said to me, is the virgin birth necessary to saving faith? Yes, it is. Now, you may have some, you may just be confused. In your, but but you, Chris, saving Christianity includes the virgin birth because that's so, that defines the atoning death. You must believe he, be, he was incarnated by the virgin birth and that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. You must believe that he rose bodily from the grave. You must believe that he is now enthroned in heaven interceding for us. And yes, Second Peter 2 says, you must believe in the second coming of Jesus. 
in order to be saved. Uh, we, are, we are saved. We, we rest on the personal work of Jesus. Now, what the confession wants to get at as well, it can't just be abstract. It's not just answers to questions. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'll go, I'll go with that. Brandon, will you go with the second coming? You'll go with that. No, no, it's my salvation. He's my Savior. He died for my sins, and I am relying on his cleansing blood. That is saving faith. I am justified through faith alone in Christ. I am sanctified in Christ by the Spirit whom he says, I will be glorified with Christ at the final judgment. There's a personal reliance upon Jesus that's part of saving faith. And so the principal acts of saving faith, they say, are accepting him as Savior, receiving his work, and resting on him alone. Now, there's no doubt that the divines are particularly getting after what is called implicit faith. And, of course, the, the Reformation is taking place, counter-distinction of the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church then and now taught implicit faith. And what does that mean? Well, you just believe the church is right. The church has the doctrine, the church has Christ, and you just trust the church. If you're trusting the church, good to go. And the guy says, you know, what do you believe? I believe what the church believes. What does the church believe? The church believes what I believe. What do you and the church believe? We believe the same thing. That is not biblical faith. There must be knowledge and assent, but beyond that, there must be personal commitment to Jesus Christ. I accept Christ personally. I receive Christ by trusting him. I rest on Christ by relying on his finished work. Robert Shaw writes, The true believer receives and rests upon Christ for a complete salvation. He trusts him for salvation not only from wrath but also from sin, not only for happiness but for holiness. We receive and we rest upon him. We accept him in saving faith. Well, the third paragraph speaks of the victory of faith. This, this faith is different in degrees, weak or strong. It may be often and in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the, vic- but gets the victory. Growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. Well, a weak faith saves you, but it's not as good as a strong faith. Now, that's very encouraging, isn't it? If you feel that you're... And I think at one level, we all feel our faith is weak. I feel my faith is weak. Uh, Spurgeon said, I love this. I've often thought of this. A weak faith grasps a strong Savior. We are not saved by the strength of our faith. So that new believer or the struggling believer who, comm- who really is trusting Jesus... The Roman, I mean, I've met Roman Catholics who, it's my opinion, are believers in Jesus. And it's you know, because they're trusting him, the blood of his cross for the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, there's, some, there's a weakness, a lack of knowledge. There's some bad practices and whatnot. A weak faith accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for salvation. Um, I remember when I was teaching at West Point, I had a really close friend who was a Roman Catholic, and he used to come to our Bible studies. And so he said, you got to come to a Roman Catholic thing with us. So I went to, they had these, it's a big thing among Roman Catholics. They have these weekend retreats where they kind of do the, Emmaus, the, 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 the Damascus Road or whatever. And um, I, I went to the, I didn't go to it, but I went to the banquet. And there's this woman at the banquet, and she gave her testimony. And, I mean, she triggered all my buttons. Mary, the Pope, you know, Mass, the whole thing. I'm just, at the end of her 25-minute um, address, I was persuaded she was saved. You take away all the accoutrements of all that, in my opinion, she was trusting Christ and Christ alone. Uh, I'm not her judge, but that was my impression. And so a weak faith, a, a faith with error in it, but a faith in Jesus that you're accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone will save you, but it's not as good as a strong faith. A strong faith will bear a lot more fruit. It will deliver into your life stronger blessings from the Lord. It, it, you know, think of how often Jesus was excited about strong faith. I tell you, I have not seen in Israel such strong faith as this, and he's excited about it. Jesus is constantly talking about their faith. Oh, ye of little faith, and he's, he's lamenting. Let's not stay of weak faith. If you have weak faith, and that faith is in Jesus, it saves you. But the Bible consistently says we need to go from the milk to the meat. 
We need to be growing in faith. You think in 1 Corinthians 3 where he talks about a person who is saved, but that their lives have been so out of accord with Scripture that, they, that they, they took nothing ahead of them. He says it's like a man fleeing a burning house. That their ministry, their legacy was nothing, but, but, they, but they're, they're in heaven. You're like, well, I mean, that's good, but that's not a recommendation. So a st- we're to have a strong faith. Um, while true faith is assailed by doubts, temptations, and trials, it is upheld by Christ unto salvation, and it gets the victory. A true faith will not fail. You know, in Jesus, in his parable of the soils, I should have put it on the slides, Luke, Matthew 13, he actually, he has, if you remember the parable of the soils, it's the first parable in Matthew 13. There's three kinds of bad soils. And one of them is the kind of person which is a seed that follows in, falls in shallow soil and it springs up quickly, but then the sun beats on it and it withers away. And Jesus says, that's the kind of person who they receive the word with great joy. They, they come to church, they, they, get the, they get a big whopping Bible, they, they learn the hymns. But, they, but they're shown not to have had a true faith because when persecution came, they withered away. And then he talks about the fourth kind, which is the, the one good soil. There's three non-believing and there's one true believing. And that's the soil prepared by the Holy Spirit and it bears fruit. And according to the Bible, according to Jesus, the test of whether our profession of faith is true or not, whether we're going to persevere, is whether or not we respond to trials. How important it is when a new believer first starts paying a price, first starts getting a social shunning, uh, first has to take a stand for Jesus. It's, It's something to tremble about if they deny him and walk away. Uh, but if you find yourself, you go, look, my faith isn't that great. But you know what? I have persevered. The Lord has tested my faith. I've gone through seasons where I had to pay a price and it was difficult. That's an encouragement that your faith is real. But if you have true faith, your true faith will persevere. Why? Because God will preserve it. I have here First Peter 1.4. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. You're being guarded by God's power through faith. So you've got to have faith, but if you have faith, God's power is guarding you. So you don't have to be afraid. You think of Peter, who denied Jesus three times. And beforehand, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. All of Christ's true sheep he himself not only secures the benefit of our faith, he secures our faith. Now, this means that if you believe, you should not fear. And you know whether you believe or not. Uh, and I, I, I got a lot of issues, but I trust in Jesus. Then Jesus is praying for your faith and not even Satan. Now, what he can do is make you backslide. He can fill your life with doubts and miseries. So let's become strong in faith. Here's an important statement. It's going to come up later. I'm almost done tonight. Faith may produce assurance. Faith should produce assurance, but faith doesn't always yield assurance. Later on, the confession is going to say that uh, assurance is not of the essence of saving faith. There are Christians, there's a branch of dissent to the Westminster Confession that says unless you have assurance, you don't believe. And you see the rationale of that, because if you believe it, then you believe it. The Bible says you have eternal life. And so if you're doubting it, you're not believing it. The problem is the Bible treats it a little more sophisticatedly than that. Uh, It certainly ought to be the case that if I believe the gospel promises and I accept Jesus, if I receive and rest upon him, that I should be at peace with regard to my eternal life. I will tell you pastorally, there are personality profiles that find this difficult. I have met people... And they're just kind of relentless, and they may have person, and and they're saved, and you wish, you know, what we do is we pray for them, and we answer their questions. Often we answer the questions over and again. I got an email. If you say, Rick, what are the two most common questions that get emailed to you? I I got one two day, two nights ago. The first one is the sin against the Holy Spirit. The second one is, is my dog in heaven? <laughs> That's a, you know my answer to that one. There will be dogs in heaven, but not your dog. 
and no cats. It wouldn't be hell without cats. But uh, <laughs> that is the second most common question I get. The first most common is, uh, have I committed the sin against the Holy Spirit? Uh, because we're weak and Satan afflicts us. And the chapter on assurance is really good, so I won't go into too much. Assurance is not of the essence of saving faith. And I would quote to you Hebrews 6, 11 to 12. We desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you might not be sluggish. Assurance is really valuable. It keeps you from being, you're not pouring all your energy into doubt and trying to, you know, gin up your conversion experience again. But there's a New, New Testament saying, hey, let's work on assurance, which means that you may believe and not have assurance. First uh, John, you remember, was written so that you would know that you have eternal life. Well, if he has to write that to believers, it suggests that you can believe without assurance, but we ought to have it. And then we are to be looking to Jesus, it says, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, the, the, I, I always talk of Hebrews 12.2 as the all-purpose Christian verse. Let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, verse 3, died on the cross for our sins. Uh, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you find yourself wavering in faith, read your Bibles. Go to church. People say to me, you know, I'm really really doubting. When's the last time you came to church? Oh, it's been months. Let's come to church. Let's be among the people of God, O Asaph of Psalm 73. Um, Let's hear the word preached. Let's read it for ourselves. But then let's appeal to Jesus and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, it's your I'm not trusting in Pastor Phillips. I'm not trusting in Second Presbyterian Church. In one sense, I'm not trusting in the Bible. I am trusting in the Bible because it's the word of Christ. I'm trusting in a person. And we look to him and we ask him to secure our faith. Father in heaven, I, I pray this is helpful. I know it's helpful. I thank you for the heritage of faith that we receive. We know it comes from your word. And so, Father, strengthen our faith. We pray with the disciples. Oh, Lord, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. May Christ be exalted as we trust in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.